It's now time for part two of our episode with Matt Williams of NBC Sports Edge. We talk about what to look for in spring training, your mailbag questions, and an extended injury report with Ruvain. Beat the Shift, part two, is next. All right, before we go on to our strategy section, let's do the Injury Gurus Trivia of the Week. Well, our Trivia of the Week this week is going to be discussing and starting our strategy section. In the strategy section, we'll be talking about spring training and what we can expect from them. So my question is about last year's spring training. So let's see if you guys can remember this. Who were the top one, two, three, four, f- five, five pitchers in strikeouts for spring training? The totals were 30, 29, 28, and 27. It makes up a total of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven pitchers. So can you name the top seven pitchers for strikeouts from last spring training? <laughs> Why in the world would we remember that? <laughs> well, uh, there's a reason behind it. I'm, th- I'm going to get okay. to that. There's a reason behind that. All right. Any guess? <laughs> Max Scherzer. It's a very, very obscure, <laughs> obscure thing. No, Max Scherzer's not on there. Uh, I'll, I'll go with Garrett Cole. No, I know. Actually, usually the big pitchers don't get that many strikeouts. They oh, usually okay. work on stuff. So the number one pitcher for strikeouts in spring training last year was Lucas Giolito. Okay, number two, Trevor Rogers. And what kind of year did he have? Number three with twenty-eight was tied Trevor Bauer and Huascar Inoa. Okay, so he came out of nowhere last year before he decided to punch a wall. He came out of nowhere and, and did well. So that's something you may you know be able to glean from spring training. And the last three pitchers, the top strikeouts from last year's spring training, Casey Mize, Tyler Glasnow, and Sandy Alcantara. So, Matt, my question to you, what can we learn from this year's spring training? Uh, unfortunately, I don't think not as much <laughs> because we have very limited amount of uh, that we're going to be seeing pitchers. Obviously, we're not going to be seeing the uh, scrubs like we do early on. But uh, as far as pitching goes, uh, it, it'll it'll be tough to say because uh, you know we, we got games coming. Well, like you said, when this comes out there, the, the games are already be starting. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I I think that it's all in a matter of. It's a, it, I'll pretty much just be looking at velocity. It's a difficult question because it's just such, a, such a short spring training. For hitters, as, as stupid as it seems, you can actually go back and check this, like with guys like CJ Crone uh, breaking out and um, uh, and different guys like that. I love looking at like just slugging percentage, not necessarily the guys that are going crazy with hitting home runs, but I love to see guys just hitting the ball in the gaps for, you know, who are um, going for extra bases. There are actually a lot of people as much as you can say that there is no correlation from year to year, it's interesting if you actually go back and look at um, in some of the previous years, not necessarily last year, of the people that are leading in slugging percentage of the ones that uh, some of the names that might not normally stand out, like Tyler O'Neill was absolutely murdering the ball in spring training last year. Joey Votto was murdering the ball last year. So was Salvador Perez. Uh, Marcus Simeon was back on the path, uh, things like that. So as as much as... It seems like something that may not uh, necess- necessarily uh, tell you anything because if you look at the the leaderboard, that's it's a lot of superstars. 
look for the names that's that uh, don't belong necessarily in your mind uh because more often than not quite a few of them happen to go on to have big years uh it just happens that way uh it, it's uh again cedric mullins uh, was another example because he had just like a really nice spring training uh jared walsh people are already on hori polanco i think he slugged over 500 uh in spring training like it, it's a it, it truly is a strange indicator uh, for you to go back and look over previous seasons and uh, there's more to it but i just uh i think the slugging percentage is something that is easy for the uh you know <laughs> for everyone to go in and sort but uh yeah. Again, if you, uh, if you think I'm crazy and I'm just looking at something that's just, just non, you know, nonsensical. Yeah. Go back uh year to year. It's uh it's very interesting. The people that stand out. Yeah. I mean, uh, obviously you can't gather all that much from string training, but, uh, yeah, I do look at pitcher strikeouts K minus BB. That's interesting. Um, more for, Hey, you notice this outlier, oh, this guy, I, I didn't expect him to be on this list. Um, and you dig into it. Remember that year, was it Michael Morse, who who had like 10 home runs in spring training, and he actually turned out to be good this year? Uh, sometimes you get that. It's just, you know, if you're going to take a, a, a dart, if you're going to take a random, let's give this guy a shot, why not go with some hero of spring training? And I will say, though, this year, because it's a little bit shorter of spring training, wouldn't we expect to see more major league talent than than guys who don't have spots in, in the games, I would think? Right? So I would the, th- I would yeah. think so, right? I mean, yeah. you would. Uh, well, the, you don't want to. I would think in the very beginning, you, you'll probably still see half and half because you don't want to soft tissue injuries or to do anything. But yeah, I would think there'd be far less of the, like you know. Well, there will be no B games or split games, right? Because uh, I, I think most of the teams have altered their spring training training schedule to just be basically the four local teams to themselves. But yeah, right. I, I, especially with pitching, though, there there won't be trying out much. The 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 prospects have been in in camp for a while, you should be seeing mostly definitely on the pitching side, mostly the major league pitching only getting their, getting their innings in and, you know, a few guys here and there that they just want to take a look at or get stretched out as well. But yeah, I agree. Uh, for the most part, you're going to be seeing uh, way less of the, uh, of the, the, the no name people, the people with the 97 on their back, uh, yeah. even, even the non-superstars, it'll still be like triple a guys, things that, you know, people that with a realistic chance to help a team early. Which means that stats in spring training might matter a little bit more. I'm not going to say a lot, but a little bit more than usual. The other thing I'd say is I always look for stolen base opportunities. I don't care if they're caught stealing or not. I care how many times they're stealing. Oh, is this guy stealing? Oh, is Starling Marte going to run a lot? Let's see what he does in spring training. Uh, I think that's a big indication of what, not so much even for the player, more for the, the manager. Let's What is the manager philosophy? Are we going to be aggressive? Are we going to learn that in spring training? So... Team stolen base opportunities. Uh, I'm big on that. Ruben, anything to add? Yeah, which brings me back to the trivia question, which is why I mentioned the strikeouts, because you'll see the strikeout leaders for the last couple of spring trainings, they actually, if you don't recognize a name during spring training, you'll probably recognize a name during the course of the year, and that's what happened. Another thing you should look out for, and Mike Curland is very good at this, and that's looking at the batting order. Look where the manager's putting the hitters to be, not not necessarily the beginning of spring training, but toward the end of spring training, because then you get a better idea of where the players are actually going to be batting during the course of the season. And if you, if you don't follow Mike Curlin, he, he does a great job. He was on our podcast. He's on the he's, he's part of the Athletic, I believe, in doing this now as well. So that's something to watch for, just to see where everyone is batting in the lineup. I, I think they already announced a couple of people that, that Cesar Hernandez is going to be leading off for, for, um, for his team. So, I mean, you know, there's certain th- things just to look on for, little nuances just to catch on. That's all. That's just- it's very bizarre, right? The uh, this sorry, not to hold this up. The Caesar Hernandez thing. How 
I mean, he, he stole, um, he was a decent uh, base stealer, 15, you know, 15 to 20 stolen bases for four years in a row for the Phillies goes to Cleveland. They just shut him down completely. And now he's, uh, now he's in Washington. They want him to lead off. He's not a very good on base. Like basically last year in the last full year in 2019, I think his, his on base percentage was pretty poor, like three thirty or less or something. Uh, and now they're going to have him lead off. Um, I mean, it's obviously good for him from a fantasy standpoint. He he showed a little bit of power last year. We don't know what the speed is, but batting in front of you know Soto, Bell, and Cruz can be nothing but good. But I, I would hope you'd want a better table setter in front of those guys because he just seems like such a poor fit if he's not going to run. Look what uh, the Nationals did with Alcides Escobar last year. They brought him back from nowhere, and he was hitting last year. I thought that was incredible. So maybe they know something we don't. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. Um, I was going to say that, you know, because of the short spring training, um, and we saw this two years ago, you're going to have the first month of the season, you're going to have some pitchers, probably starting pitchers, not go as long as they would be. Maybe they need an extra week or two to ramp up. Um, you might see a little bit less decisions there. Middle relievers might be a bigger factor um, in early on in the season. You might get... Uh, you know, the traditional April numbers might be not as cool. You might get some hitters who are more into it, and you might get the reverse. Hitters need Some of the hitters need more time to come right off the bat, and uh, they're, you know, cold. Uh, uh, there was always a couple of hit like Curtis Granderson used to take a good month and a half to ramp up. Mark Deschera, I remember, did that. You might see them colder a longer period of time. What, what do you expect uh, to happen in real Major League Baseball for the first couple of weeks because of the short spring training? Yeah, well, they they already have the MLB and MLBPA are negotiating over whether to extend rosters, which will will no doubt be to I don't know carry another carry another catcher and a few relievers. Uh, but yeah, the 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 starting pitching you would assume not the studs. A lot of those guys are probably ready. It's which is another thing to um, you know. There's headlines like people are behind. Um, you know, they'll talk about someone who, you know, he, he has, like, Justin Verlander actually came out and said, hey, I thought the lockout was going to be longer. I'm behind, which is, by the way, the lamest excuse of all time. Um, but <laughs> pay, pay attention to stuff like that because certain guys, like, you know, Scherzer, you know they're keeping their stuff tight. <laughs> they're going to they're gonna go, they're gonna be ready to go. Uh, but, yeah, pay attention in spring training of the guys that obviously, you know, have their stuff together or not because, um, you know, if you're in a league, especially fab, it might be worthy – of grabbing a couple of those middle relievers, which I like to do anyway with the way baseball has been going. Uh, I did this. I won a lot last year. I love stocking up on the Jonathan Luiz because I had him everywhere last year. Call me Q. Um, everyone like that, where you can get some of those middle relievers. They can just rack up wins uh, because they kind of come in in the middle of the game. And, you know, sometimes they can get you the occasional save, but uh, some of them give you strikeouts, whip, and, uh, you know, ratios, and uh, maybe pick up a few wins. So it may not be a bad idea, especially if your team has a couple of, uh, you know, um, maybe expendable roster spots to to invest and look on your waiver wire to see if you have any of those nice middle relievers on certain teams, uh, in, in, you know, and try to try to map something out. Because, yeah, like uh, Ariel just said, I would, I would expect the innings to be a lot shorter in the very beginning, especially for like, you know, there's three, four and five pitchers, but you know, again, pay attention to the notes, go over to like Jeff Zimmerman's uh, mining the news, uh, see who's, who's ready and who's not going to be ready to at least, you know, go, you know, be full go. Yeah. Colin McHugh, my last pick in TGFBI 30th round because he 
probably is a good idea to throw him instead of a seventh starter in the first uh, couple of weeks. They, they may not the seventh starter. They might be terrible. They might not go. I'll trust McHugh for the short stints early on. So get more of those in your lineup early on. Ruvain, question to you, though, is they're also bringing back the full nine-inning doubleheaders. That's definitely going to add more innings to everybody's uh, season. How does that affect the, the the balance between starters and middle relievers for you? Well, it's also it's going to depend when these doubleheaders are because they haven't announced that yet. If they're earlier on in the season, the middle reliever value is going to go through the roof just because a lot of these pitchers are not going to be stretched out. But during the course of the season, I think the starting pitchers, they're going to try to push these pitchers a little bit more. Um, there's always the risk of injury there also as well as for the pitchers, the starting pitchers going more. Um, and it's always a question to see how the middle relievers are going to be utilized very early on, whether they're going to be starting middle relievers in the fifth inning, sixth inning, seventh inning, and these doubleheaders just because they want to get as many, you know, they, it's, they're going to try to get more innings out of the starting the starters. That, that's the main thing. And something to think about also, you mentioned about the, the, the full nine innings. Pitchers are usually ahead of hitters coming out of spring training. So this is the time of year to think about using the starting pitchers and using the middle. Don't be afraid to put those middle relievers in there now as opposed to having to put the closer because if you don't like a start that a starting pitcher is doing, throw the middle reliever because they're going to get a lot of innings earlier on just because pitchers are usually ahead and they'll do better now probably than they will later on. Another thing to watch for Teams are playing Colorado in April. Are there any doubleheaders early on in Colorado in April? The Dodgers are playing there. The Cubs are playing there. The Phillies are playing there. Those are things to watch for. Um, and just know that the pitchers are usually ahead of the hitters. You mentioned the colder weather combination of if they if the Dodgers decide to have one of their doubleheaders there the first you know first month of the season to make up one of the games that they missed. You never know. You, you have to have the middle relievers ready to go because this is going to be the year of the middle reliever. All right. Question, thought question, you know, uh, I saw Ron Chandler come out and say that, hey, maybe we should push off drafts instead of just a week or two. We should push it off to like the second week of the season because truth of the matter is that a lot of the free agent signings, some a lot of them might not happen until very, very late. We're talking the day before the season or maybe even till the week after the season. Um, what, what are your thoughts about possibly telling your home leagues to, you know what, We'll we'll incor- either incorporate the the stats uh un- from the for the first week you get a bonus you know what your stats were the first week but let's all draft there'll be less variability let's all draft a week after the season starts any thought of it, uh, about, for you if uh, that's a viable thing that home leagues should think about I mean it's viable I couldn't do it though it just feels wrong. <laughs> I want my team done before opening day. I want to. I want to have my lineup set on opening day. I mean, draft the last time if you can. I mean, we're doing. Uh, they have all those local area leagues. I do the one called Turf, which is the Turnpike, New York, New Jersey. We're drafting on the twenty seventh. I mean, um, you know, at, at, at the time that was basically like, you know, right there before opening day. And I think that's fine right now. Anyone can push it to the uh, if you were going for the weekend, the second or the third of April. I think that's fine. You're gonna get just about as much information as you can. You won't be at like a massive disadvantage. I, I would say it's definitely worth pushing it into at least then, but maybe not. I don't necessarily think I'd be happy pushing it into the season. Um, but yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. It certainly makes a ton of sense, especially if you're putting a lot of money into it um, and you don't want to, you know, kind of be screwed by, you know, something. So, you know, like, uh, you know, you, you invested in Corey Knavel at a really nice price. And I know that, you know, they've, 
he's going to have to build up his innings anyway. So, I mean, they brought in a Brad Hand and Jerry's Familia. They'll probably steal one here or there. But if they up and decide to go after Kenley Jansen, that would be nice information to know. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm all for pushing drafts for as late as you can this year. If you can push them as late as humanly possible, I personally would prefer that to be op- before opening day, though. Definitely an option. Uh, consult with your league and uh, do what's best for your entire league. Uh, hey, you know, it's been uh, – I hope your leagues are all drafting in person because uh, it's been a couple of years since a lot of us have. So whatever whatever works, to be honest. I'd rather draft with my league team league mates a week early than not with them after uh, – and, and wait a week for the more certainty. But, hey, d- do it. Do what you can. Well, um, the, NF- the NFBC pushed it off to April 1st. So we're drafting live in person. Me and you, Ariel, we're drafting in person live April 1st in New York City because they pushed drafts off. Uh, uh, it was two weeks because they thought it, because the lockout was still going on. So we're drafting April 1st. That's a, I think it's a perfect time. I'm doing, I'm, I'm a commissioner of a home league and we're drafting next week. You know what? I'm, I'm just keeping it the way it is. Uh, it is always time to have a waiver wire there so that people can pick up players you want and let, let it be a free-for-all to start the season. I have no problem with that whatsoever. And we have another league that we're in, another home league, that got pushed off also a little bit. So you know what? I, it, it's starting, I don't know, it, it's it's based on preference, based on scheduling, I guess, at this point, because I don't know people are going to be around, they're going away. There are many different things that play into it. Yeah, I think ideally you, you draft the day before the season starts, really. Uh, but, you know, people have different priorities and things, and you do the best that suits your whole league. Last year I tried to I tried to uh, gather a league together to draft like 7, 8 a.m. the morning of opening day. I could not get anyone motivated enough to fill a, a <laughs> league of quality people that early in the morning. But that sounded like fun to me. Wake up, have some, have some pancakes, and draft a team. Our, our NFBC uh, auction in New York is 9 a.m., and I actually like that because uh, I'm a morning person in general, uh, so uh, maybe people are sleeping and I won't be. And uh, that league is actually really tame. Um, it doesn't get crazy as some of the night leagues go. So um, I'll tell you, morning does have an effect on leagues. It really does. Um, all right. Uh, a couple of mailbag questions, uh, a couple of random things that came in, but let's get to as many of them as we can. Siv asks, hey, hello, Ariel. I did a mock auction salary cap draft for the first time today. I used your ATC projections on the Fangraphs auction calculator, and I was really thrown for a loop with your negative prices on players. I know the player pool very well. How do you use projections when doing an auction? By the way, I really enjoy your pod and insight. Well, thank you, Siv. Um, As far as the negative numbers, um, it's actually not just negative. It's anything under a dollar, right? Uh, In theory, if you priced it all correctly— a dollar and above should be taken in an active lineup. So if you're, you know, you're drafting and you have to fill the active spots, everybody should be priced a dollar more. And the bench players theoretically would be under a dollar. It could go to fifty cents. It can go to negative. Uh, that just is uh, giving you the relationship between the dollar player and anything under. So you know, oh, this guy is three dollars under, four dollars under. The negative doesn't mean anything. It's actually the dollar is the demarcation line. Uh, but yeah, you know, you, you you definitely for your active roster don't want to be unless there's some situation you don't know about. You want to get players that are above a dollar and hopefully even above like four or five dollars so that you get some bargains in there with your last pick. Uh, anything to add to that, Matt? No, uh, I, I I mean I think you explained it rather well. Uh, that, that that's something that a lot of people get confused by too. There's a lot of ways. Uh, I think the most popular one for anyone not creating their own 
um, their own sheets, which again, for the average fan, for the, uh, the casual uh, fantasy manager, they're not doing the fan graphs auction cal- cal- calculator is fantastic, but take the time to obviously fill out the settings correctly. Make sure you have the correct number of teams, um, you know, the correct number of roster allocations and things like that, because, you know, these things are fine tuned for your settings, which is how you should do it. If you make it yourself the same way, if you're using some kind of a calculator, um, so yeah, it's, it's good to know like, yeah, where the, uh, the negative, where the zero, where the positive and negatives come from. But I think you did a, a good job of explaining. Well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, uh, I get a very common question asking me is why is this guy priced so differently? I don't understand it. And half the time, the answer is you entered the settings wrong. There's too many players, bench players, just set it to zero, right? I, I don't set bench players to 10 or whatever. I set bench players to zero. And this way you just see what the what the actual active roster is, and then you know that the zeros and negatives are, quote, for the bench. Uh, Jason asks, suggestions for dealing with inflation in keeper auctions, and then what hitters have the safest projections? Let me answer the second one. I'll let you answer, Matt, the first one. But in terms of hitters having the safest projections, ATC projections now come with a couple of risk metrics. Uh, you check out my Rotoballer article this year that explains some of them. We also have a great video produced by Eric Samolsky that he, we had him on last show uh, that will explain these. But, yeah, look for the lower inter-SD players. We're talking guys like Jonathan Scope, Ryan Mountcastle, Trevor May on the pitching side. Very safe. We know what he's going to get. Uh, so those, those, that's, that's the best way. ATC comes with risk metrics, uh, which is pretty revolutionary, I think. Uh, so go for that. But as far as how do you deal with uh, inflation in keeper leagues, Matt? I, I am probably not the best person to ask this because I'm in no leagues that uh, that do. Uh, I'm in no. I'm not in not that many keeper leagues uh, with um, any kind of. Uh, uh, inflation or, or changing in price from year to year. I'm just in the basically uh, cut and dry, uh, either full-time keeper or just dynasty where you keep the whole uh, team. So it's something, not something okay. that I really have a ton of hands-on experience with. Okay. So, um, you know, in general, uh, there's two types of inflation. There's the in-draft inflation, which a lot of people keep track of. I don't because I'm just familiar with how the pricing goes at certain points in the draft, oh, the top is going to be a little bit higher and the bottom's going to be lower. I know that, so I don't keep track of my inflation. I mean, I do. My software does it, but I don't look at it ever. But keeper inflation is real. The, the point is that, you know, on a regular team, you have $260 to spend on what would be at least $260 of value. You want to get more, but an average team would have $260 of value and that you would spend 260 When you have keeper keepers in an auction, usually the people who are keeping keepers are keeping them at a discount. So you have a $40 player that people are keeping for 20 and a $15 paper player that people are keeping for 5 So what happens is you have, on, on average, more money to spend on less value. So, for example, you might have, because of the way the average room goes, $240 to spend on $220 of value for the average team. That would be about a 9% inflation scenario. And you basically would just ramp up every remaining player by that 9% factor. And so prices are just inflated, but only because there's the, the, the corresponding value to money is less. So it's literally a math problem of just multiplying everything by the average play, the average dollars amount left divided by the average values on the board left. Anything to add to that, Ruben? No, you're the math guy, so I think you, 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 you nailed it pretty well there. Yeah. All right, all right. Uh, yeah, if you're still having trouble with that, definitely hit me up on Twitter. I can show you how to do that. Uh, I would have had a much more caveman answer to that particular question. So. 
You'd be much more eloquent. Into, uh, and before we finish the mailbag, let me know what that yeah. is. There is actually a breaking news thing that is interesting. I just want to get your guys' take on before we end the show. All right. We'll, we'll come to you for breaking news right after. Um, Kurt asks, this is a question for me. When are the ATC projections going to be updated? I got about 25 questions like that. Uh, ATC projections relies on other projections, so I have to wait for everyone else to get them, which they take a day or two or three or four, depending upon the projection system. So I'm going to wait a couple of days, uh, probably going to gather it Wednesday, Thursday, somewhere around there to give projections a time to get some meaningful stuff in. Uh, there's a lot of volume of changes, so I have to wait for that. And then it takes me about a day or two turnaround time to, to get probably less than a day to actually do it. But the manual checking that I do on some of these things is going to be a lot this time around. So we're talking later in the week. I expect uh, roughly Thursday on Sportsline, and it should hit fan graphs roughly Friday. Uh, that should be the answer for you guys on that. Last mailbag question uh, is uh, from DT. He says, how should I approach the catcher position in the 10-team points league with weekly lineups, just one starting catcher? By the way, we also have shallow benches, and it's very difficult to roster two catchers. My quick answer to that is you can actually punt catcher and draft in a shallow league with one catcher. Literally just take the last catcher available and if there's no transaction limit or waiver wire penalty or things like that, you can stream until you find the guy that sticks. So why spend the draft capital in the auction? Literally take it with your last pick. And in the bench round, like even if you don't have to draft the active players first, literally take it with your last pick. Is that good advice, Matt? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a guy like Cal Raleigh at Seattle, he could come out of nowhere. You can get him for free. <laughs> Yeah, and and don't have any catchers on your bench either. There's no reason to have no. any catchers on your bench. Oh no, no, no. It's no. half James McCann. <laughs> All right, injury report, Ruvain. Uh, you must have a lot of stuff now, so go for it. I do have a lot of stuff, but I'm trying to narrow it down just a little bit. If you want to get all my stuff, you can catch me on Twitter. You'll see everything. But I want to start by saying that league sources have confirmed that IL stints and options will be moved back to 15 days instead of 10 to limit the amount of churning that goes on on the roster. So that's something to keep in mind when someone is put on the IL. It's going to be 15 days instead of 10. To hey, keep Ruben, that in mind. Before you move on, I had a question because I saw that originally, and then I saw someone correct it. To it was only 15 days for pitchers and not hitters. Uh, can you confirm if that's true or not? Because I saw a couple of um, uh, people at the Athletics say that the MLB was only moving to 15 for pitching and sticking to 10 for hitters. I can't conf- I can't confirm either way. I, I saw that I saw that original report. I haven't seen anything since then, and I think we're not going to really know until like a week or so before the season starts. There's still a lot of stuff that's flying around about what's going on yeah, with the it's, season. It's so. for it's for pitchers and two way players. Gotcha. So Otani would be under that. Okay. So then that's that's the answer right there. Anyway, getting to the injury report, we'll start with the, a lot of number ones pick for the draft this year was Fernando Tatis. He fractured his wrist. He fractured the scaphoid bone in, in his wrist with a motorcycle accident, and, and Tatis actually said, which one, which is not a good thing. Um, his manager actually said that he's not going to ride a motorcycle anymore. Um, he's going to probably need surgery. He's trying to push it off if he needs surgery. Recovery time is about three months. This injury supposedly happened... Earlier in the offseason, we didn't know about it, but the scaphoid bone in the wrist has very poor blood circulation, so it probably didn't heal properly, which is why he had pain when he was swinging, which is why he's probably going to need the surgery. A question, then, but, but before, before you move on for, from Tatis yes. here. Uh, well, first of all, A, um, you know, he had the problem with the shoulder. Wouldn't it be a good time, uh, or shouldn't it have been a good time to take care of that anyways, since the, he, mm. you know? 
Mm, the, the shoulder recovery time for surgery is a lot longer. So okay. if, if this okay. happened, let's say, toward the middle to the end of the season, then I'd see you do that. But at the beginning of the season, if you do the shoulder thing, then he's going to probably be out No, for but if it happened longer. earlier in the offseason, then maybe he should have gotten the surgery then? But if there was no lockout, then he would have been with the team trainers and yeah. he would have known about the yeah. injury. So it was the whole problem with the lockout that he was dealing with his own doctors. Other question is, what round do you drop him to? And I think it makes a difference whether you have an IL slot or if you have uh, if you have a short bench. Like in an NFBC setting where you don't have an IL and it's a shorter bench, uh, I mean, I might not touch him to like the ninth or 10th round. Uh, if there's an IL slot, maybe the fourth round. Like, uh, what, are you, what, what are your thoughts on that, Matt? I mean, I've read, I, I've read he could be out four months. Uh, you're getting, you're, so you're getting two, a little over two months from him. Uh, I, he's, just, I'm just crossing him off my list because uh, you, you're getting him back in four months. You don't know if he's going to be the same. After he came back from his second injury last year, he stole two bases the rest of the year. Even though he was still fantastic and he performed incredibly for how uh, many games he missed last year. Uh, you don't know what kind of player he'll necessarily be when he comes back. He's going to need some ramp up time. So yeah. for me, I'm just crossing him off my list. I'm just not considering him. I'll let someone else worry about that. Yeah, fourth is uh, is is actually too rich. Uh, I, um, I haven't really done the projections and and put it in, but uh, yet. But yeah, um, fourth, 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 maybe fourth, maybe if you have an IL slot, because then you if you have an IL slot, in, that's fine. Yeah, but otherwise, maybe like sixth or seventh when you should, actually when you should start seeing him. It'll if you be don't have an IL though, I think he goes to you know twelfth. 15th round like all right i'll take a tati sitting on my bench uh, such a superstar in the 15th round even if it's two and a half months of production uh but uh, yeah if if you don't have an il you gotta drop him you gotta drop him way way down if you do you can take him a little bit earlier stash him and get the replacement level especially in a shorter in especially in a uh more shallow league yeah Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Next right. guy on the list, Ronald Acuna. He was originally said they originally now saying that he may be back by mid May. Then earlier today they said, Oh, the general manager said, Oh, we're hoping to see him in the roaming the outfield in mid April. So you're getting mixed mixed answers of what's going on. I think you just have to watch his progress during spring training and see exactly how things go. So if anything, keep Ronald Acuna probably at the end of the first round, beginning of the second round, and don't move him up just yet because you may not getting all that value. But he can, I do, he can I do DH, believe, right? Yeah, yeah. I believe the Atlanta did mention, like Ariel just said, that they, they do plan on DHing him possibly from opening day. Uh so I think that was just the uh that's roaming, just, yeah. roaming the outfield. That's what I said. I said roaming the outfield. Right. He oh, yeah, still could be activated the, uh, earlier. <laughs> but it, but they also may put the brakes on him earlier in the season and not have him try to steal as much. So that may hinder because his value is in a lot of his stolen bases. If he's not getting those stolen bases, he's not going to get you the full value. Will he make it up later? It's possible, but still, it, he's not going to. You're not going to have the full Ronald Acuna when the season starts, and that that's the main takeaway. Now, the we, only thing I'd say to that though is that in in the past. He has stolen more bases in the second half of seasons than the first. In 2019, he stole 13 bases in the first half, 24 in the second half. Going to 2018, he stole only two in the first half, 14 in the second half. So he does get more of a stolen base production in general later, and I'm not saying he's going to get a full season's worth, but it actually might be a larger percentage than you think. Um, and this injury usually is pretty good. Uh, you, you recover pretty fully from. So uh, 
listen, if he can DH for the first month and then steal for the second half, not saying you're going to get the full first-round value, but you actually might get more than you think. I think that it's a mistake for people who say, I'm going to cut him to the third round. I think no, that you round, might be yeah. okay. Yeah, you might be okay with leaving him. I don't know if I would take him the first round anymore, but uh, you might be okay with the second round even. Yeah, beginning beginning of the second round is I you think where you should. Yeah, I I would agree, but I I think with this news, I've seen people be more enthusiastic, and I'm I'm starting to see him go mid first, um, like six seven okay. eight. <laughs> so I I think that his price is gonna be pushed up a little, a little higher than I would I want. I mean, if I want to take that kind of risk, I maybe I'll just pass and go to Mookie Betts if I wanna if I want to take on that kind of risk. Not that yeah. he's he's had his stolen bases just severely cut down uh, the last three years in general. So maybe that's not an apples to apples, but uh, yeah, I definitely agree. I would keep him there at the uh, the end of the first. But I uh, I think enthusiasm seems to be picking up and taking him uh, north of there, which I'm not really comfortable with. You know, usually we just let Ruvain uh, fly with the uh, with the updates here, but it feels more like the uh, feels like the Howard Stern show where you recite some news and then we get on you. That, that's that's perfectly fine. And I actually <laughs> think what Matt, what you mentioned about Lacuna being pushed up, that may be because Tatis is being pushed down. So that the people are trying to compensate and, and hoping that you're going to get the same type of player earlier on with a Ronald Lacuna type. Now, next. A, uh, a Phillies ace Zach Wheeler. We have him on our um, on our labor team, and he experienced shoulder soreness when he was throwing in December. He's feeling better. He threw a he ready to throw a bullpen session, which is good to see. But there's always a big but. How does he deal with the shoulder after the throwing session, after the bullpen session? How does he do after the next bullpen session? Because this is not a one-deal thing. He's got to pitch every five days, and he's got to feel comfortable. There's no reason why he can't come back, if not for opening week, the week after. So you're not going to lose that much value as long as there are no setbacks. With the shoulder, and after as many innings as Zach Wheeler pitched last year, which is very high, you have to be very careful with him. Wait. So, uh, so, so wait. So, so what's what's your? Uh, sorry to do this to you, but uh, it's fine. <laughs> the Howard Stern, uh, Howard Stern show on uh, on the beat the beat the shift this week. But uh, wh- where's your worryometer on this? Because uh, I mean, we have him on that team. I have him in TGFBI. Um, he he was a workhorse. I mean, he was the highest projected innings player for ATC before today. I don't know if it's going to go down. Probably will. Uh, it probably should. Uh, what's your worryometer on him? I'm not too worried yet. If he continue, if this shoulder issue persists throughout spring training, then I'd be more worried. And then if he starts feeling elbow issues, then I'd be feeling more. But shoulder, it may just be shoulder fatigue that he's still that they need to ease him back in. Plus, spring training is normally six weeks, so if they push him back two weeks, let's say, then he's getting the full and regular spring training. So I wouldn't be too worried just okay. yet. If you're if you're ready toward the first week in April, right before the first week in April, and he's still experiencing the soreness, then I get my worryometer up to high. Okay. I don't know what it is. I've got call intuition. I mean, I'm, I'm usually very risk averse, kind of like Ariel. I don't like taking a lot of risks, uh, but there's just something about this where I'm not worried at all. And I'm happy to take the discount. I'm sure you'll get to Zach Gallon shortly, but for these guys, it seems like there's just massive overreaction where yeah. I saw Zach Wheeler go in the seventh and like they didn't have, they just didn't have the, uh, the access to the normal trainers and everything they do. So I think they had these setbacks. They didn't know what to do with it. Zach Gallon pitched today completely fine. He said, Hey, I had something that felt a little weird. I pitched well today. Um, I'm going to be perfectly fine. And I think that's kind of what yeah. this is. Some people are behind because they, they, they literally couldn't talk to the people they normally do. And what Zach, what, and what Zach Gallon did, he got his own MRI he got diagnosed. He had bursitis in the shoulder. He actually said this. If he, I, I retweeted the video. He has bursitis in the shoulder. 
he actually pointed to where he has the bursitis in the shoulder because he actually was involved in the in the treatment because he didn't have the team to help him. So he was doing this on his own. He actually he innuated in, intuited that his agent got has a team of doctors and and people who watch over him also. So it's not just the team doctors, but his agent had doctors looked at him also. Yeah, I mean, I've heard a lot of pessimism, especially about Wheeler. And you know, I'm okay if you want to project him for you know, cut. I don't know, 14 innings, cut two starts off of him, if you will, or, or cut 15 and 20 innings, whatever you want to do that, okay? But I think there might be a small buying opportunity if people are really depressing his price. Um, you know, I, I'm like you, Matt. I'm, I'm risk-averse also, but I, I think there is very massive overreaction. I mean, certainly you don't want to throw a lot, a, a very high draft pick, uh, a second-round pick to a, to a pitcher who might be, bombarded but if he's slipping to the fifth sixth round that is a massive massive cut I, i'm not on board with that i'll i'll be grabbing more wheeler shears if that's the the cost now yeah and, and it's just again the, the narrative too they're like oh he you know he he's suffering shoulder soreness because of the, the massive workload 213 innings the last couple of full seasons before that 182 195 Zach Wheeler was injury prone earlier in his career. He's not really now. He's actually been somewhat of a horse. So I think people are like kind of using this past narrative against him. Like, oh no, Zach Wheeler's injured again. It's just, I think it's a very, I think it's a series of variables that are just, yeah, overblowing things a little too much. That's why I said, as long as it doesn't progress from the shoulder to the elbow, then I think it's not too bad. Now I'm going to mention the next guy and you're probably going to want to stop and talk about him also. Max (laughs) Muncy. Max Muncy said he will be ready for opening day. Dave Roberts says he will be ready for opening day. He still has a torn UCL in his elbow. He didn't have surgery, but you know he was, he was being drafted later on because people were nervous about his elbow. We didn't hear that much. Then we heard in the beginning of spring that he had a setback and he wasn't progressing the way he wants to. And now all of a sudden he's going to be ready for spring for opening day. I'm a little hesitant on that. I, I'd pump the brakes. I'd be more worried about Max Muncy for opening day than I would for Zach Wheeler, let's say, for the second week of the season, something like that. Alex Kirilov. Well, hold on a second. Does the uh, does whether the Dodgers sign Freeman or not give would give you any intuition as to what they think about Muncy's health? No, well, they did start. They did start Muncy at first base today in a simulated game. So oh, okay, that, that gives me a lot of uh, as someone again risk averse. Too many question marks on the Muncy side. I have zero shares. Uh, maybe I'll learn to regret that, but I think that's a huge positive that they threw him out there at first base fielding today. Yeah, and and Freddie Freeman is just going to be replacing Corey Seager's at bat at bat. Yeah, so it's yeah. not like it's not like they need to fill the spot at first base. They don't. They need to replace the the production they got from Corey true, Seager when true, he went true. to Texas. Okay, I agree. Yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously they get Freeman. Muncy's going nowhere near first base. It was more of a if the if Muncy is comfortable enough to go out there and the Dodgers are comfortable enough to put him at first today, uh, this early. I I gotta say. Uh, they know better than we do sitting at home. I, I would think that's kind of, that's that's the most positive thing I saw, no matter what anyone has said regarding his health. Them putting him at first base has actually been the most encouraging thing to me so far. Yes. Okay. Now we're going to move on. Alex Kirilov. I promise Kirilov. to talk about the next two players. I'm going to sit no, here. No, 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 hopefully you, you, there's nothing to worry about the next one. Alex Kirilov, he had surgery in July for his wrist. He's not expecting to have any limitations in spring training, so he's good to go. Lucas Sims, the possible closer for the Reds, said that he is all clear in, in, in regards to any of his arm trouble, so he seems to be good to go. So if you want to draft him as a closer, go ahead. Lance McCullers, just just stay away. Don't 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 even bother. Just 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 stay away. He's still having forearm problems. 
He hasn't thrown the ball in a couple of a couple of months. Leave him alone. If, if someone wants to draft him, by all means, and, and stash him. You can stash him, but you're not going to get even half right now what the projections are showing. So I'd be very worried about Lance McCullers. Kyle Lewis, he appears full and ready to go. That's what Jerry Depoto said earlier in the week. Now they said he's not going to be ready for opening day, and the Mariners just got Jesse Winker. Does that mean anything about Kyle Lewis, that he can't stay healthy? He's always had this knee injury. Very possible. They have a lot of outfielders there, so they have a lot of insurance policies there also. So I think that's what I'm going to end right now because there's so many other injury things that are going on. I just can't name them all. It's just way too much. Yeah, and by the rate we're going, this will take another three hours as we're dissecting all of these. But listen, that's what fantasy analysts do. We haven't had any information in three months. It's time to, uh, you know, we got to do what we can. And, you know, uh, we'll have projections updated this week. But, uh, you know, you're going to have to make some inferences much more than you would usually do. Let me throw out two more stuff because yeah. we're, we're Met fans and we're going to have to mention this eventually. Jacob deGrom was named opening day starter. Do you draft him ahead of Zach Wheeler here? I still, I yes. 100% I think you yes. do. Yes. 100%. And Starling Marte has an oblique issue already. He's has an oblique. They mentioned that he was he was on he was practicing today, no issues, but he came into camp with an oblique issue. That's something to watch especially if he has to, if you want him for stolen bases. Got to be a little bit concerned about that that it's that early in the season. Well, I had an oblique issue. Uh, I pulled it playing uh pickleball. Uh, going to the net very quickly and oh, pull my oblique. Eh, it took about three weeks to really recover. Um, obviously, I'm not a uh, an athlete on the major league level, but uh, those are tricky, especially if you're going to run. So uh, hopefully that'll heal soon for our new Met, Starling Marte, huh? I, I, I don't want to downplay uh, oblique injuries because uh, those soft tissue ones are not they're nothing to mess with, especially. Um, you don't want to come back too early, but listening to Buck to talk about it, like he said, oh, he just has a little side thing. And then Marte, like watching him today, I think, I think it, they say oblique thing and everyone jumps to conclusions. I think this was just a, it's day two, um, go have a seat. I don't think it was actually an oblique injury. I think he just like, you know, maybe just had a little tightness and they just told him to go take it easy. So I don't think this is necessarily an issue. Maybe this is me being overly optimistic, but uh, I really, I think that it was just uh, worded poorly uh, by reporters, and this is not necessarily an oblique issue. It was just a, it was just a guy coming in off of uh, playing no baseball activities, having a, you know, a a questionable soreness like on day two. Well, the, yeah. the two the two body parts you're very concerned about are oblique and lat, and I think um, I believe it was at a. Um, I let me make sure I say his name right. Albert Alzale has a strained lat, and he's going to be out for at least two months, maybe more. And this is an injury that can keep players, especially pitchers, out for a very long time. So that's something you have to, you know, be very, very careful with. He himself, Alzale, he missed four months with the same exact lat injury a couple years ago. Yeah, yeah, no, not touching him in draft this year. I'll tell you that. What about Jack Flaherty? He also now has Ooh. shoulder in- injuries. It seems like all the pitchers are are coming with sore and everything like that he already he went for an MRI today for his shoulder I mean these are these are guys all the pitching all the top 10 top 15 top 20 ADP starting pitchers they all come with question marks so take your pick and it's just to roll the dice Ariel Ariel's suggestion to draft uh, when the week one week into the season's looking better and better as we yeah talk. I mean the problem <laughs> is that a lot of times like you know the first initial pitchers and catchers come February and you know any dead arm issues usually happen early March and you're usually not drafting early March you're usually drafting mid March which is after this now this is all at the same time so you have to make lightning inferences and lightning decisions 
on what do you do with these players right now without full medical knowledge, without knowing exactly the story. It's really, really hard. Uh, it just is. I, you can be the best fantasy analyst in the world. You just don't have uh, perfect information. So, you know, you have to do your, your assessment. And mo- some of the time it's buying opportunities and some of the time it's stay away. It's really hard to know which one's which. Uh, I wish I could tell you the right thing. Uh, you know, best to uh, just read up, read up on all the information, follow uh, Ruvain for the most up-to-date updates, and uh, make your best decision there, really. You know? And pray, and pray. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so draft after uh, after April, that's right. All right. Well, this was actually a very action-packed, jam-packed episode, Matt. We did a lot of strategy on auctions and drafts. We did a lot of injury news, spring training, Really, thank you so much for coming on the show. You were an excellent guest and uh, really great person in the industry. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, why don't you tell uh, all the listeners all the stuff that you do, where we can find you, read you, and all things Matt Williams. Uh, sure. Uh, go over to uh, the Turn 2 podcast. It's uh, where I kind of talk about whatever the heck I feel like talking about, fantasy baseball-wise, once a week, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, Turn 2. Uh, I work over The Athletic, and then uh, I have a weekly column over at NBC Sports Edge called By the Numbers. Uh, it, it is not your typical, like, here's a bunch of data and uh, here's some players you should pick up because of it. You skip through the whole article just to look at the conclusion at the end. I like to pick a topic that I want to teach the audience how to do something. Like this week, I went into how to properly value platoon players. And it's not me going through and cherry picking out a bunch of players. I'm saying that you should draft. Um, and this is why it's I'm going through to kind of show you where in season, uh, if you're, you know, if you're, where's the line you draw between a poor position player like Michael Taylor in a, in a, um, in a platoon option like Jock Peterson, I'm showing you the, the different things you can look at to see like where uh, one becomes more profitable than the other, depending on the categories, how you can look at maybe the starting rotations within a, you know, your own, um, the player's own division to try to get an idea of where you can get an edge. If like, you know, uh, like the certain divisions are like overloaded with lefties, like the Orioles, uh, you know, where you can get certain edges somewhere and like, you can go in to see where, you know, how, um, what, what teams have employed the, um, platoons the most, but anyway, it's a different topic every week. And the whole idea is I walk you through different kinds of research. I'll show you different, different sites, fan graphs, baseball savant, uh, baseball, or, um, Brooks baseball and kind of show you how you can do your own research and give you examples on how to use it this year so that you can use it yourself in the future. So again, that's every Tuesday and I've gone on way too long. Like we have this entire show, but that's what you guys to invite me on. I love to talk. Uh, but uh, <laughs> every Tuesday, NBC sports edge by the numbers. I love doing it. If you have any questions, my DMS are always open on Twitter at Matt Williams, M E T T W I seven, seven I M S love talking baseball. If you have any questions about anything I've ever break down and you want to ask me privately, that's perfectly fine. Reach out to me and we can talk. There you go. Ruvain, plug your stuff. You can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out all these injury updates and more. There's a lot more out there. Um, I also have an in-season weekly article on Roller World discussing all this stuff. And please send in all your injury questions. Just like Matt said, my DMs are open. You can you can uh, you know at me on Twitter, and I'll try to answer your questions. If I don't answer your question, it's probably because I don't have an active update. I don't want to give wrong information. So instead of giving wrong information, I'm not going to give any information. It's probably better that way. Um, and during the course of the season, I mentioned my Roto Bowler article. Um, it comes out every Saturday, and it'll help you get ready for your fab for that weekend. All right, I'm Ariel Cohen. My stuff over at Fangraphs, Rotographs, at Rotoballer. ATC projections will be up. Refresh is Thursday and Friday, so check that out. Um, and, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at ATCNY and listen to me on right here, 
on the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. want to wish everybody a happy St. Paddy's Day. It's also the Jewish holiday Purim, two drinking holidays in the same day, which is phenomenal. Uh, so you're covered no matter what you follow. Uh, so there you go. But uh, we'll be in a regular slot next week. Uh, as uh, we're getting everybody ready for the draft of 2022. All right, wishing everybody the best of luck in their draft season. Once again, thank you very much to Matt Williams for coming on the show and from all of us here at Beat the Shift. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.